Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. I am your host, Greg, and this is Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are here for another exciting round of Tottenham conversation this week. Before we get to that, I want to remind everyone listening to follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because we're super great guys and I think we deserve it and we'll be very sad if you don't. So please do that. And, you know, we also need reviews to counteract the um, counter-revolutionary screeds being left there uh, as a result of Ben's political leadings. So please do that. Uh, this week, it is just myself and the ever-loyal Brian Ashlock coming to us straight from the slopes of South Florida. Uh, Brian, uh, to lead us off this week, I have an important question for you. Who, with, with uh, you know... Sanctions in the UK forcing Roman Abramovich to sell Chelsea. Who do you think should buy Chelsea? So I think there's a couple of options um, that would be interesting. Uh, One is actually a real option, it seems like. Um, Woody Johnson, who owns the Jets um, in American football. Let's Um, contextualize what that would be like for for our British listeners. um, The Jets. What would the Jets be like? They would be like Sunderland if relegation didn't exist. Ooh, that's that's very good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they, they are the non-relegated Sunderland of the Premier League or of uh, NFL. Um, but Woody Johnson, um, aside from having a name that is great for puns and innuendos, um, he apparently has a lot of money and he wants to be like the Glazers and the and the Cronkies and own a Premier League team. Um, but I think the best answer is. Uh, that Vince McMahon should buy Chelsea. And then that way, the West London derby between him and Shad Khan's Fulham can just kind of allow what's playing out in America and professional wrestling to play out in the Premier League. I can't believe you got there before me. The important thing to note about this, though, is uh, I think, and it's only that's very appealing for Vince McMahon, is they probably wouldn't play Fulham all that often because Fulham's not going to be in the Premier League that often. Because AEW is perhaps the only thing the Khan family runs with any degree of competency. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, look, I think Vince McMahon uh, knows how to deal with, you know, uh, pantomime villains, with real villains, with rivals, with, you know, fake rivals. You know, and everybody hates Chelsea. So I think he would be able to spin up, like, some really great stuff. I can just see his pregame talks to... To his captain, to uh, Timo Werner or whoever, like you got, you gotta go out there. You, you gotta puke. Definitely brings John Terry back though, mm. like to manage the team. Definitely, sure. definitely. Is that even a heel turn? Just like heel continuance? I don't know yeah, what that it's would. Just, <laughs> it's just a continuation on a theme. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly that would like match the level of sleaze that we expect out of Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think he would probably introduce cheerleaders to the sport. Well, I guess, do Crystal Palace still have cheerleaders? I don't know. They should. Just because they, like, it's the only thing that we know about Crystal Palace. That and, like, Zaha's never going to leave. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, he would, he would, like, I just imagine him trying to do, like, XFL-type stuff in the Premier League. I would just like, imagine him getting in extremely, like, nasty arguments with other Premier League owners, which is really... Like, the benefit of this. Yeah, I mean, and, and also, like, someone's going to have to do a real good explainer for him on UK libel laws. Um, I mean, he'd love that. Like, Mr. McMahon's going to love UK libel laws. Like, people could only write so much about him. Like, that's going to be... That's true. It, it does, it'll, it'll work both ways. Like, he, could, he, he couldn't say certain things, um, but people couldn't say certain things about him. So, it's a, it's a, it works both ways. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a great suggestion. I mean, I think Vince McMahon is a great suggestion. We could say Shad Khan. It'd be nice if he owned them because Shad Khan hasn't run a winning sports team in his entire life. Um, so that would be fun. 
Um, I mean, but Woody Johnson that works the same way. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Frank McCourt could be fun. Uh, you know, he he tried to he bankrupted the L.A. Dodgers and basically got ran out of baseball. Which let me tell you, British listeners, is an accomplishment. And I mean, he um, basically bankrupted. Well, I mean, assisted in the further bankruptcy of Marseille, right? Yeah, I I don't like if I'm if I'm being fair, I don't know if you can ever blame a single person for Marseille's like financial woes like that just feels like a state of being yeah yeah that's fair I mean I think I think what the what happened with Marseille was and McCourt was he promised a lot of stuff and then like half delivered on it and then was like you know what Uh, I don't enjoy this yeah I mean I don't know like Maybe that guy on American TV who talks about how you can cheat taxes to get money, who has all those like question marks or dollar signs on his suit, like I, like I just want whoever's going to run them like the worst. Jim yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, like whoever is going to just run them, like Will Ferrell. Let's let Will Ferrell run them because that probably won't go well, judging by his film career. Like, but he likes soccer though. Is no, problem. he's a Chelsea fan, so like, yeah. Like he was wearing Chelsea jerseys when that wasn't a thing Americans were doing. So, yeah. uh, you know, no, I, I don't know. Like, just anyone who will just drive them into the ground. A Spurs fan with lots of money and a grudge. Like, that, that's, yeah. who, that's who should run Chelsea. Yeah. Um, yeah, would you, would you want to talk about Spurs for a little while? I guess. There might be a game we want to talk about. Spurs, uh, Spurs beat Everton 5-0. Boy, that was a whooping. Um... I don't know, Brian, the last time I've ever felt that bad for a team we're beating. Maybe Newcastle 5-0 a couple of years ago, like back in like the Harry Redknapp, the, the, the brief flowering of Louis Saha for Spurs. I, I like, so a, I would say a few weeks ago, but I think it was just a week ago, we beat, we beat the breaks off of Leeds 4-0. And that was bad, and we got their manager fired, but like, this felt like a more abject performance from Everton. And I don't want to, like, not give Spurs credit here. I think we'll get to that. But I think, like, sort of the elephant in the room is, like, Everton were very bad. And I've even, like, I've seen people give them credit for the first 10 minutes of the game. But, like, I don't know. They just felt awful all day to me. I mean, that was a really sorry performance. Yeah, I mean... I don't think I've I've felt sorry ever for a club uh, like another Premier League club in a match that that we're just beating them in. You know, I I've definitely felt that way about like some some Europa League ties and you know some early FA Cup matches like the the game last year against Marine. Like that's you know that's not fun to go out and beat those guys five nil. It's like all right, you know, they're sixth division club or seventh division whatever they are. Um, yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know what Everton's deal is now. Um, that well, especially just... they looked halfway decent in the first game or two, or some of the first games. I know they got beat pretty early, but I mean, Lampard had them looking like a at least a respectable club early on. Yeah, he did, and they had some, uh, you know, some decent results. Uh, you know, but I they they. Played City close, and then, I don't know, this match, they just weren't in it at all. I mean, they had a lot of the ball, but they just, they didn't create anything. They didn't do anything. Their defending was horrible. Like, uh, Well, they just... did this, and, and, you know, I guess Lampard is a fairly young manager. So, I don't want to maybe be, like, maybe I'm giving him too much credit for thinking he wouldn't be this naive, but, like, it seemed to me like they had this strategy of they watched teams that could press Spurs give Spurs problems. So they were like, let's do that. But unlike a team like, say, Southampton, where that's kind of baked into what they do, I mean, Southampton's maybe not a fair comparison because that really is their strategy all the time to some degree or another. You know, they decided to try and press us. And they looked to me like a team that had never pressed anyone before. Because what, you know, for the first like five, ten minutes of the match, like, I don't want to say they were good, but, like, you know, they were, like, you know, we weren't creating, like, a ton of chances. But what you saw after that, and, you know, I think it's Spurs fans, I think it just shows what sort of the nerves are like on Spurs fans these days. Because I think we've had a couple good results where we look a little 
shaky or mediocre in the opening couple minutes while we're clearly like feeling the other team out. And then we sort of start turning the screws on them. And I think that's what happened there because like as soon as Spurs broke their press, I mean, we broke their back. They, I mean, they had no idea how to recover or handle us. I mean, it's, it's probably even charitable to call it a press because they were just sort of running, chasing us around up the pitch. And there's like, you know, early on, because we're talking about professional athletes, it like took Spurs a few minutes to like sort of work their way around it. But it, like you said, Brian, at no point were we in any danger. At no point did it look particularly coordinated. And very quickly, we figured out like how to get around it. And they just had no idea what to do once that happened. I mean, wingbacks were getting loose all game. We were running behind their defense virtually every time we got past the halfway line. I mean, it it was well, not just, a good strategy. They just had no midfield. I mean, they're, they, I guess... Allegedly, they were playing a double pivot that was Allen and Vandebeek, and uh, I mean Vandebeek wasn't doing anything to contribute to that. And I guess Decore, who is I, I thought was more of a midfielder than Vandebeek, was playing as the ten, but he was basically in the box. Um, you know, every time Everton went forward, I I, don't, I mean it was. You know, all we had to do was make a couple of passes, and then we were running at their defenders, and and that none of them are good enough defenders to defend our front three. Well, they were all pressed up too. Yeah. Like they're probably not good enough to hang back and do it, but they certainly aren't good enough to like get on their bike and go chase, you know, Son or Regulon or Sassignon or Kane. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the the same thing with you know with Allen and and Van de Beek, like. No, neither of those guys are going to get around and break up play. They're not. They're not cutting out passes. They're not getting into passing lanes. Um, it was just a really weird lineup from Everton. And and you know, like you said, there were those few minutes in the beginning where you thought, oh well, maybe this is going to be one of those super frustrating Tottenham games that we're used to, where we play a team that we're better than and we like drag it out or we, you know, uh, <laughs> or we lose just because that's, what's been happening to us. Um, but you know, you get the own goal and what, two or three minutes later, right. Sun scores. Um, it, I mean, it was over from that. And that was like as much as an own goal can be like a product of your offense. I felt like that. Own goal. Absolutely. I mean, we were absolutely lucky that went in the net, but that was a hell of a play by Sessegnon. I thought, um, yeah, I mean that's a really good move all the way around. I, I think you know the the movement from uh, Bentancur to 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 drop into the back line and then kind of create the space um, to 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 spring the 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 move forward, and then you know uh, Davies, I think it's Davies and Sessegnon combining on the left. Yeah, it is Davies because I I thought he kind of overplayed the pass initially, um, but Sessegnon makes you know, actually got on his bike a little bit, showed a little bit of pace and puts in a really nice ball. And, it, you know, it's unfortunate Kane doesn't get to it, but it Keane just, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> he just, I mean, he puts it, I mean, you, that's part of the reason, I mean, they say put it in the mixer. And part of the idea is like, you put the ball in a dangerous place and, you know, bad things are, you know, things start happening. So, yeah. And I, I mean, obviously that wasn't what Keane meant to do, but I can't tell what it was he thought was going to happen based on the direction he was facing and where, how he was moving his legs. And I'm just like, I don't, wh- where else was that ball going to go? My guy. And then two minutes after that son scores like a great goal. And you know, the game, I thought the game was just over after that. And like, frankly, I think Everton was lucky. I mean, Spurs court could have scored six in the first half. I thought. And yeah. They were, I mean, and they could have given up penalties in the second half that the referee was clearly just not interested in, like, piling on. Yeah, I, I just think the, the attacking performance from everybody was, was so good. Like, the entire front three was good. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm i sure we're going to come on to it in a little bit, but the wingbacks were great. Um, and Kane is, Kane is Kane again. Um, you know, he's, he's been so good the last, what, three or four matches, five matches, um, assisting, scoring goals. Is this uh, the best iteration of Kane? I know we've talked about this a little bit. Is this, 
is this the best version of Kane? Because he doesn't have maybe like the the pace, which he's never a pacey player, but he just sort of, man, he really does do it all as a center forward. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think early Harry Kane when he still had like really really top notch athleticism, like before the ankle injuries, um, is probably the best. Kane we've seen I don't know man he's, he's good in a different way now. yeah but he's good in every he's still a great uh, finisher I mean he, like I get there's some physicality that's beyond him now but he's not like I, I think Spurs fans especially some of the Spurs fans we talk to tend to overstate how hobbled he is now like I mean it's not like yeah. he doesn't get to the ball or make shots I mean some he can't run around like he used to but between just the way he sees passes now and he moves the ball I mean he's still like I mean, again, this is a broke-ass Everton team, but, like, you know, that... I mean, he saw that run and was, like, free and clear of their entire defense. Like, I mean, he yeah. can still move when he wants to. I think the thing is, it's, like, he's less audacious in terms of some of the the shots he tries to take on. Like, this version of Harry Kane doesn't attempt that curler from the edge of the box against Arsenal. You know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that Harry Kane is a penalty box striker or he's a tap-in merchant. I'm saying that he has, over time, learned that, you know, it's better to take shots in the middle from closer to the goal. And, like, you know, he does take a lot of high XG chances. And he's cut down on some of the, you know, pops from 35 yards or pops from weird angles. Sometimes. And, yeah, Sometimes. Uh, and, uh, I miss those. I really like, you know, he can score them. And so I just wanted to take them every once in a while, but you know, I'll take, you know, a couple from eight yards out every game, whatever. Um, working our way from the front to the back. Uh, I thought Kulashevsky had another outstanding game. I mean, he is, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe to skip that, let's just talk about the Juve boys in general. Cause I think they are both just in a lot of ways. I, I think a, a lot of, a, a lot of us sort of wrote them off as like good players, but not exactly what we needed. I think, I mean, you watch this, they're exactly what we need. I mean, Kulishevsky is such a good, I mean, he's, he's, he's exactly what we've been missing on the right for, for a couple seasons now. Like the way he creates, the way he links play. I mean, the way he just is just dangerous in the box all the time because he's not just running and shooting like Lucas, which has its moments. You know, the fact, the, the fact that he's, you know, connecting with Son and Kane and our other attackers and creating shots himself. It's just, he's so good. And I'm so, it's so, I mean, Ben has talked about this on previous podcasts. It's just, it's nice to have a young, exciting attacker who probably hasn't hit his ceiling that we can sort of hope and dream on a little bit. Uh, you know, cause he's, he's not super raw like heel is, but man, he is, he is really good right now. And you just like, I mean, you, you look at how well he interacts with, you know, I mean, you look at you look at Son and Kane, and they have this sort of telepathic understanding because they've been playing together for so long, and for a while they were the only two guys in our attack, so they had to. But you know, you watch Kulishevsky get involved, and he's like, I mean, it's like he's been here all year already. I mean, you just you know, I mean, if we keep all these guys around for a while, it's going to be fun to see what they can do next year. It's he's so important to the attack, and then Bentoncourt is like, I mean, I think he's better than advertised. Everyone just told us we were getting sort of maybe maybe a version of what we had with Eric Dyer a couple of years ago, maybe a little rangier. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think he's been really solid on the ball. I think he's been good pushing it forward. I think you can see the difference when he's in games versus when he's not. I mean, they, they have both made a huge difference in this team, and I think this game was a perfect example of that. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's interesting because if you look kind of in the press after the match, um, he's – Benton Kerr specifically kind of gets a little bit of of heat in the press for like always well in the press from Tim Sherwood specifically <laughs> uh, for just like playing the ball square and backwards and like losing possession a lot and I I don't know that that matches up with what I see because you know I, I agree with you Greg like he has been a lot more progressive in his passing than then I think we were led to believe because I think when we came over, everyone was like, "Oh, look, he's safe. Like he's he's a, he's a defensive midfielder. Like that's what he is. But he's safe on the ball." And da 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 da. da. Um, 
he tries shit. Like he just tries shit. And like in you know, in a way that like Skip and Hoybeard don't. And he also has the technical ability that those two players do not. Now, I think maybe like if you gave, you know, equal time and equal space, is Harry Winks maybe a better passer or does he have more range of passing? Maybe. Um, but like Bentecourt just like like I said, he tries stuff. He tries through balls. Like he's he tries little, you know, flicks and dummies in midfield and well, and you combine that with how solid he is in possession. Like, yeah, he's not getting I, dispossessed. He's not, you know, it's just, oh, man, he's so nice. It's so nice to watch him play. And I think playing him with um, someone who is similarly all action and, or and similarly, you know, gets around the pitch, whether that is Hoybjerg, who we've seen him play with now, or whether it is Skip when Skip is able to come back. I think that's a better midfield pairing than than throwing Winks out. Yeah, there. I agree with you. Um, because, you know, with Hoybjerg and Bentancourt, and, and I'm going to assume with Skip and Bentancourt, uh, you kind of have a true double pivot there, um, where either can play the six and either can play the eight to, to varying degrees of success. Um, and, and, and I'm just, it's, it's a level of solidity and, and quality in midfield that we haven't really had for a while. And then, like you said, I mean, Kulisevsky is... He's been great. I, I don't know what we can say about him that we haven't already said. I mean, this maybe wasn't his most amazing game, but again, he still has an assist or two assists, I think, in this game. Um, you know, he 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 keeps popping up in useful positions. He is he is the outlet that that Lucas never was, and like, yeah, maybe he's not as fast or maybe he's not athletic, but he also is a guy like Bentoncourt who just like seems to hold on to the ball. Like, it, the ball is sticky to him, and I don't, like, you know, when he's dribbling, he looks awkward and gangly, and then he just, you know, the the last match, the last Premier League match was probably a better example of it than this match, but he just he just gets through guys and weaves around and does stuff. Well, it's, it's like now you've got this, like, zone of the pitch, right? Like, that upper right, you know, area of the pitch that, like, before, you know... He before um, it was just this like okay someone's going to receive the ball there and probably take an unproductive run or a useless cross or whatever he gets it there and he just like it's it's useful all of a sudden he's he's like drawing players off he's he's making productive passes he's taking shots that are good shots you know he's having assists it's just like it's all all of a sudden you're just getting all this production in this area of the pitch in this like you know front three that like you just you know even when Lucas was sort of being his most productive under Conte it wasn't as you know I mean like I don't want to be too hard on Lucas because I think Lucas has done a lot for this club but like you know that like how how often was he good for like I'm going to dribble down a cul-de-sac and like lose possession and now you know we have someone who like yeah no not everything that Kulishevsky does is like going to come off but it just it all feels more dangerous and useful than we've had anyone up there doing it in a while. Uh, maybe since sort of like Lamella fell off a couple of years except, or since then. But Well, I think and the other thing is, is that, you know, before Lucas being on that right flank and then also playing like Emerson Royale out there, it was allowing whoever was on the left backs in the left back slot for the other team to just shift centrally. And a guard against Kane and Son um, making runs in the middle because they didn't really have to worry about what either Lucas or Emerson were going to do out wide. And now, like, I know Kulisevsky likes to drift into the middle, but, like, as a fullback now, they have to be aware of where he's going and what he's doing because he's not just kind of like a one-trick pony like Lucas where he's not just going to dribble, try and dribble you. He's going. He may try to dribble you. He may try to, you know, play a early cross. He may try to play through ball. Like Kulisevsky has, um, you know, other uses. And and I think the thing we really saw in this game was him forcing both the midfielder um, on that side and the fullback to pay attention to him opens up the wingback to do lots of good stuff so let's talk about that because while we weren't looking 
And while we were all complaining about Spurs results and is Antonio Conte going to go back to Italy or something, surprise, he's turned uh, Doherty into like the best mid, the best right back in the world. I, I, I mean, he was great. This is like the second game in a row. He's just been absolutely, you know, insane. And I mean, he's probably had some decent performances before this. And I mean, is this a product of he's past COVID now? Is this a product of he's just had time to work with Conte and get his fitness up? Is this a product of like he's playing with Kulishevsky? Is this a product of he's getting confidence from Matt? I mean, I don't know what it is because you've seen Sessegnon until he got hurt in this match. He had like what five, six matches in the first team, and like he looked better. I think you know. Still, I think he still looks pretty rough around the edges. He had some sloppy moments in this game. I, mean, I thought he had some nice pushes forward in this game, but it's Everton, so when he had some sloppy moments at the back, it didn't really get punished. But, like, Doherty was just terrorizing them during this game. I mean, that, that pass he made to Kane was incredible. I mean, I know, like, when, when he was at Wolves, the thing I always said about people said about him was that, like, you know, he'd pop up in dangerous places in the box. So it effectively creates another attacker going forward that teams don't know how to deal with. And I think you see a little bit of that right now, but he's just doing great stuff all over the place. So Brian, I mean, other than Antonio Conte is a wizard, what do you think is going on with Matt Doherty? I mean, I hate to be like the Debbie Downer here, but I think this was just like a good game against a bad team. Again. Uh, uh, but, you know, because and the reason I say that is because this isn't really Doherty's skill set. Like, if in this game he'd have popped up at the far post and scored two goals from, like, crosses from Sessegnon or something, I'd be like, yeah, this is this is Matt Doherty's thing. Like, this is him now working within the system. I don't know that this kind of passing is Doherty's thing. Um, and I'm not trying to be mean to him. I'm not trying to, you know, downplay the performance because he was really good. I'm just saying sometimes you play good against a bad team. And... <laughs> And we have he he has had two great performances against two bad teams that you know kind of yeah. let us do what we wanted to do. But and look, I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm happy you know if he's going to continue to play like that and make passes like that and and you know I mean he scored in the other game. You know I'm 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 perfectly happy for him to continue to do that. But I I am not buying into he is our solution at right wing back going forward. I don't know or if he's our solution, he... but there is like a level that's worth arguing. Like this is the first time for a sustained way he's been used as a wing back in a while. Like I mean, and that might be part of the reason he looks better all of a sudden. <laughs> like I mean, now he's had some bad performances under Conte. So, you know, again, like maybe maybe it's just two games against bad teams. I think that's probably the most likely like explanation maybe it's the fact that you know like Conte is actually using him as a wing back like yeah I mean it's certainly some of the best passing we've had from that position in this match since you know Kieran Trippier left um and, and actually Kieran Trippier would be kind of good in this system um we should have bought him instead of letting Newcastle buy him mm-hmm. um but but you know th- that aside I, I Doherty played really well um, I, I, he didn't really put a foot wrong. Like you said, that pass to Kane is, I mean, it's great. That's amazing vision. Weighted it perfectly. Like he was timed a, it perfectly too. He got that thing off right in time. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he was a threat all match. And, and I don't know if it was just Everton being too worried about Kulosevsky or, or what the deal was, but he had time and space to just like, be on the ball and no one hassling him. And then he made stuff happen. Um, and I guess that's all you can really ask. Do you think putting Kulishevsky ahead of him has made a difference? Having a guy who's more secure in possession, who can interact with him a lot more as opposed to like Lucas, which I think as far as a wingback's concerned, is kind of like a, it's like a sieve, like in terms of just like, I think if you're a right wingback, having Lucas there is just, it causes problems. He's not occupying the other defenders because he cuts in so much. He loses the ball so much. Like, I think Lucas, from a right wing back perspective, causes a lot of problems, even if you're good. Uh, well, I think I agree because definitely also Lucas kind of wants to do some of the stuff you would want to do in that wing back space. So, like, you know, like when, when Lucas receives the ball out, out wide, 
he's trying to beat a man and like there's not a lot of space for you to overlap and Doherty on the underlap is maybe not like that's not what you want from him but although in fairness he did some decent passes cutting inside today um but yeah I I, I think you're absolutely right I think Kulisevsky there um makes defenses play that position a little differently um and you know maybe it's also a product of defenses feel they can close down on Kulisevsky more because they're not worried about um, him knocking the ball past them and then running around him in the same way that Lucas might. And so that opens up different things that Doherty can do and different things that Kulisevsky can do. I don't know. I, I, I think it's just you have a better player playing in front of him that can do more things that, like you said, can can hold on to the ball. Um, and it just it just makes teams adjust. And also, he interacts with them. Like, you know, like, I mean, Lucas, yeah. even when it's going well, Lucas kind of just does his own thing. He's not doing... He's not doing passing plays with a right back, generally speaking. I mean, you know, I mean, I think Kulishevsky is just a much more involved player in terms of patterns of play and what have you. The patterns, yep. Very the much patterns, more yes. involved in the patterns. The patterns. Capital P patterns. So, I don't know if there's any other. I mean, I think the only other thing I noticed was, first of all, uh, Romero does not like Rickarlson, like, at all. Who does? Honestly, love love that love that picture he posted after the match of Carlson rolling around on the ground and Romero arguing with the referee after that incredibly blatant yellow card. Um, yeah, I mean it, it was a it sure was a challenge. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but I thought I was struck by like how pointy and shouty the whole back line was, especially the center backs during especially early in the match, like. I feel like they were extremely pointy and shouty, like very demonstrative in terms of like who's doing what with the ball. But I feel like we had three Flaminis back there or Flaminis, however you say it. Uh, it was uh, like they really seem to want that clean sheet. And maybe it's because they've had some communication issues in the last few weeks. But they seem to be very like communicative back there. Um yeah, I don't know what else to say. This is this is a comprehensive performance. I think, like I said earlier, it felt to me like this was something that kind of Everton let happen to them. And I, I'm not trying to take away from how good we were. Where like it felt like we imposed our will on, you know, on Leeds. And this Everton just felt like they broke at the slightest, you know, sort of hint of pressure. I mean, they're bad, man. Like, I mean, I know they're probably not this bad, but, like, you watch that game and you just think, especially you look at their schedule, it's like, how is this team going to stay up? I mean, that's my big takeaway watching it. I mean, we don't need to talk about Everton too much, but... I think it's just interesting how bad so many teams down at the bottom are. Like, you know, like, Leeds looked a little better um, this weekend, but, like, they're not good. Burnley aren't good, uh, even though they beat us. Uh, Watford aren't good, even though they played pretty well against Arsenal. Norwich aren't good. Like, there's so many teams down there. And, I mean, and Brentford and Newcastle are only a little bit out of it. And they're not, none of them are great either. So, uh, the Deli Alley stuff made me really sad. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, it was nice, but it's like. You know, this guy's on some relegation fighting team and, like, he hasn't had a good year in, like, two, three years now. And, I mean, he did all the right things. But, like, Hugo walked him over to the South Stand to get, like, you know, sort of a, you know, this fan sang his name very loudly. They sang the Deli Alley song. But he did not look, I mean, he looked like he was eating his vegetables the whole time, which I don't think it says anything about his relationship with Spurs fans. I think he's on a, he's coming off the bench for this garbage team that's fighting relegation and, getting their asses whipped 5-0, like, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't expect them to look happy about it, but oof, it was just not a super pleasant sight. I mean, I would have really taken him scoring a hat trick from when he came on. Uh, you know, if, if any... You, you know, haven't had enough had... Antonio Conte melodrama in your press conferences lately, Brian? Like, nah, yeah. well, I mean, that'd be different, because we still would have won 5-3. It's fine. Um, so I, I could have lived with that. But, um, it, yeah, I, we've talked about it before. It's just sad that, you know, we went from where he was 
gets to where he is now. It's without it's just, like you know. I mean, if he did his knee or something, like at least you could understand that. Like it just seems so inexplicable. And I'm sure if you know him or you're in the tri- locker room with him, it's not as inexplicable. But like, yeah, I don't know. Ugh. Um. Yeah, so I think the, the the last thing to talk about today is sort of we've had some post game comments from Harry. We're in a top four race right now. Uh, Harry said that the team needs to like take responsibility and stop making excuses and finish top four. Uh, right now, Spurs are three points behind Arsenal. That's Arsenal with a game in hand. So we're really let's assume for the sake of argument we're six points behind Arsenal. We do play Arsenal again this year, so it's not as deep a gap as it may look on paper. You know, I think there's two separate conversations. But let's start with Kane's comments about it, then we'll get to sort of what the top four race looks like. I generally, as I said that, Brian, you made the uh, the wanker motion on the camera. I thought that when Harry was talking about There was clips from the documentary uh, in Mourinho's first year of him saying that. And you know what? That was my reaction when he said it there. After the last two years or so of Spurs football, like, you know, I don't love how Harry's handled some of this, but I have... That opinion has much more truck with me than it did two years ago. I mean, I think there's still some, like, rings, winner mentality bullshit from Harry there. But, like, you know, because God knows Harry Kane has gone silent more than his fair share of big matches. But, like, I don't know. Like, there is a level of, like, I mean, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about the Burr game a little bit. Like, I don't have a great explanation. I mean, even that game, like, you know, Harry Kane gets a goal chalked off. We Like, Sun gets two point-blank shots blocked. Like, you could argue Spurs were a little hard done by, but this team, like, looks flat in really inconvenient moments. I know every team does that to an extent, but, like, I don't know, man. There's been a lot of problems with this team over the last few years, and, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think there might be more to it than I thought when Harry first said it. I don't know. I I I, <laughs> I think all oh, that's stupid. Um, they're professional athletes. I think they, you know, for the most part, I think they all express, you know, accountability and I've never seen, you know, we had, we had a behind the scenes documentary. We've, you know, seen training videos and press conferences. I don't know. I I don't think that that's the problem with this team. Like the problem with the team is like, they're just some guys that just aren't that good. Um, and they've had, you know, four managers in the last two and a half years or whatever it is, three years. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm like you, I don't, I just think it's, it's like that ring winner, Tom Brady, TB 12 type of stuff that like Harry Kane thinks is motivational or thinks is leadership. And it's just like, I don't know. To me, it's just shut up. Like you, you, you show up in big games. Then you take some responsibility. Oh, Greg's muted. Greg's muted. Oh, yes, everybody. No. I want everybody to know Greg was talking for at least three seconds there, and he was muted. Um, <laughs> False. That's fake news, Brian. Um, no, like, on the one hand, like, I tend to – that's my knee-jerk reaction. That's how I tend to feel about comments like that. And I don't know, even if it's let's, – let's say for the sake of argument it's 100% true. I don't know how helpful it is to call your teammates a bunch of losers who need to sack up and start playing like men, like – I don't think that stuff's helpful. I don't think it's useful. Then again, I'm not a professional athlete. We're like, that's, that stuff's not emotionally health, healthy, but like, there's probably some winner mentality bullshit that like, you know, Harry Kane is like the best player on Spurs. So like, I don't know. Take it out of the professional sports context. Imagine you had a team meeting at work and you're, I don't have so- to imagine this, Brian. I've, I've had these <laughs> I'm team sure meetings you know. before. No, before it is incredibly listeners. demotivational. I have found it incredibly demotivational. Like, oh, we all need to step up. We need to take ownership of everything. We need to, I'll be like, all right, well, hey, maybe screw you. I don't know. Maybe you take um, ownership. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'm just going to go back to my desk and do my job. You leave me alone. Yeah. What, what bothers me, even though on a certain level, I understand it. Like, I understand where Kane, like, I don't think Kane is totally out of bounds being frustrated with how the last few years have gone. And I understand where on some level he might want to leave. Even if I don't like how he handled le- trying to leave, I get it. Like, there's a level of, like, 
you know, it was sort of phrased Fabrizio Romano was saying, like, clearly what Spurs want is, like, finishing the top four, be in the Champions League, and then the plan is, like, Conte will still be here next year, and Kane can, and they can try and sign Kane to an extension at that point. And it's like, okay, maybe, and I understand why all those things might link up, but, like, I don't think it's helpful to have, like, a manager who keeps threatening, like, to leave if everything's not perfect. I don't think it's helpful to have, like, a star player who, like, keeps, like, threatening to leave if, like, you know, if we finished, like, just short of the mark. Especially, like, you know, if Harry Kane score a few more goals this year. Like, I don't want to take too much away from him because he's incredible. And if we make top four, it's absolutely going to be due to him. But, like, at the same time, that guy, if, like, he'd scored a couple more goals when he was in a slump, like, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, on the one hand, I think there's something to be said for accountability, but you also have these two guys who seem to be sending the message, if you read between the lines, like, well, if you guys don't step up, fuck it, I'm out of here. Like, that doesn't sound like accountability to me. And it just gets tiresome. And, you know, Conte's kind of mellowed out a little bit, partly because I think Spurs have played better lately, and partly because my guess is someone's had a word with him. Like, you can't just threaten to leave if a match doesn't go our way. Like, I do think on some level we're just getting, what, Conte always is and everything went so well when he first got here that we didn't really see much of that but I don't know man I just find it exhausting and unhelpful but well I mean the good news is that we are we are close to being on track for top four finish Um, I'm going to say this and then like immediately knock on wood but like you know the game against Manchester United this weekend is such that if we win, we are now just like basically it's us and Arsenal for the fourth spot. Yeah. Which um, seems crazy if you remember back to how bad they were at the beginning of the season, how bad we were kind of, you know, after 10 matches or whatever. Um, so, it, but I think it's also like probably like, collectively our worst nightmare where it's just like either us or arsenal for top four now um and it's interesting we have like nearly identical run-ins um like the only good team either of us the only good teams that either of us play still are united and liverpool they have to play city again don't they i don't think so no no, they've got Leicester, Liverpool, Villa, Palace, Brighton, Southampton, United, West Ham, Leeds, Newcastle, Everton. Um, oh, they might have to play Chelsea again. Yeah, because the Chelsea match got postponed. And they still have to play us. So, okay, they've got the Chelsea match. as the, That's one of their games in hand. So, you know, maybe that's not a win, Greg. Maybe that's, uh, as we know, we had a game in hand against Burnley, and uh, look how that went. It's it's tricky, and it's, you know, I, I don't like it. I've got PTSD. I mean, you look at Arsenal, and the problem is they're just not dropping points right now. I mean, they don't look, I think, spectacular. I mean, they look good in stretches, but then, like you said, they didn't, they sort of got up on Wool, on Watford, rather, and they just let Watford back into that match. Um they let Moussa Sissoko score. Yeah, I think they were a little lucky to actually get out of that with all three points. But, you know, they are things are going their way right now. And as someone who lived through that season with AVB where Arsenal wasn't particularly good, and it, is like, it felt like they didn't lose a match after Christmas. Like, it just felt like they just kept winning bullshit matches. You know, like, I don't feel great about it. Now, we play them, so, like, in a lot of ways, like, our destiny's in our own hands. I mean, we can really do them a lot of damage if we beat them. But, like... Ugh, it just sucks because, you know, I think we're totally in the driver's seat if we don't drop those games against Southampton and Wolves. And, you know, I understand even good teams are going to drop bad matches. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that we dropped those matches when our back line was, you know, kind of injured and Bentoncourt was out. And, you know, like we had some key departures, but we should still be better than that. And it's just what I find frustrating about all of this is, and I don't want to harp too much on it because we really haven't had this much drama this week, is like if Conte hadn't been so, like, melodramatic lately. I think we'd all be feeling really good about this. Like, you know, like, okay, maybe we'll just miss out on top four, but you gotta, you got to be happy with how we've played this year under Conte. It's been a massive improvement. And that he did this midseason with no 
no tra- no transfer window over the summer and no um you know preseason to get these guys up to speed is incredible and you just be feeling great about going into next year but now we have this willy wony bullshit that is just and I don't know I'm probably making it worse by talking about it cuz I think Spurs fans are so on edge these days I mean we're just we're passing around our box under pressure from Everton and like you could you could feel Spurs fans like losing their minds at the stadium it's just ugh, I don't know man it's like like the top 4 race is going to be stressful but honestly I wouldn't be so like if this was like Pochettino's first year, we had some new young manager. Graham, if we hired Graham Potter and we were playing like this, like I'd be, I'd be feeling really good about next year. It's like all right, we're getting some reinforcements in in the summer. Yeah, and I look. I think the I think the Willy Wony stuff is kind of overblown. Um, I hope so. I hope you're right. You know, and, and I think I think if you're you're Daniel Levy and you're um, uh, Paratici and you're, you're signing Conte to come in, you you have to sell him on the idea of like, hey, look, here's where we're at. We might not be top four at the end of this year. And he has to, I think, accept that. And I think probably if he took the job and the way he talks about the job, generally speaking, as being a project and needing to improve the team and everything, that he, he understands that. And so like, yeah, top four is very important. It's important to our players. It's important to our fans. It's probably important to Antonio Conte. But I, I I have to think that there's no way he agrees to this job if he says you have to finish in the Champions League for me to stick around for, you know, the next 12 months of my 18-month contract. It's I hope you're right. Because it's like, I feel really good about it. And frankly, we did some stuff. I mean, beyond just the fact that you know, we did a good job. I think we did a good job signing guys in the January window. Like, I think Bentoncourt and Kulishevsky, even if we could have used the right wing back, like, I think they're excellent additions to this team that really fix a lot of our problems. Even getting beyond that, even getting beyond, like, that it's like 70 million euros, I think, if they both all, if we pay all their fees. You know, the fact of the matter is, like, we shipped out some high-priced guys that we pointedly refused to do for Jose Mourinho. So it's like, you know, I feel like we're going to back the manager in the summer, but I guess we'll see. So, and you're muted. Yeah, it's not just me. for balance. I knew that I had to do it for balance. <laughs> you know, uh, I agree. I, I we'll see. Um, but I think you have to be optimistic about the the, the top four race. Um, Especially, it's going to be we play. Brighton midweek next week. We're probably going to be playing Arsenal midweek at some point. But other than that, it's week. It's one one fixture a week more or less for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I mean that's what Conte needs apparently. So, you know, he needs that full week to prepare, and uh, hopefully, hopefully that's enough. You got any thoughts about United this weekend? Um, they're not very good. That doesn't mean much for Spurs. No, it, unfortunately it doesn't. Um, it's interesting. Um, I was listening to, uh, I, I forget what podcast, but basically they were they were talking that uh, Rangnick doesn't actually have that bad a record. Like the, the City match was like the second match or whatever that he's lost in the Premier League. Um, and that actually they've won a bunch. Um, but... Ah, they just look so bad against City. Well, it seems like that locker room is a real rat's nest. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, it, you want to talk about us having, you know, not having players to uh, mm. step up and, and lead or take responsibility. Uh, I think that's a real problem at United. Um, you know, I, they, they're, I, we're going to say this now and then, like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo will come back in the team and score seven goals against us or something, and Pogba will play out of his no, mind. No, but that, but I like, mean, regardless of how this goes, like, I mean, whoever's taking over United, I mean, you think Spurs, I mean, Conte's talking about how Spurs need to clean out. I mean, you know, I don't know who, I, like, I don't know who I keep around on that United team. I mean, they, those guys, I mean, I generally think that teams don't need, you know, like, locker room chemistry is generally overrated, but, man, that yeah, team. It's, it's just weird because it's United. And they have so few players that you would look at and point to as being obviously world class. 
Well, even even a guy like Pogba, who like we've all just assumed he's been mismanaged for his entire time at United. Like he'll do it for a minute or two, but like you know, like is he one of the best midfielders in the world? I I don't know. He looks better for France, I guess, but yeah. I mean, you know, look, Fernandez is fine. No, Sancho. Fernandez is a fraud. Bruno I mean, sucks. That's true. That's also true. He's a penalty I think, merchant. I think Jaden Sancho will be good. Sancho um, feels like, but but Sancho. I mean, I I, I don't want to like slag off Sancho, but it just it feels like like there's a guy who's been mismanaged like sure. since he got to United. You know, I mean, their most consistent player is Scott McTominay, and I don't think Scott McTominay is actually any good. And it's just like that is it is, you know, th- their midfield core right now is McTominay and Fred. That doesn't. I don't know who that scares. I don't know. Fred. I, I I'm I am. There is nobody in this United lineup that particularly terrifies me, and. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think they're very good right now. Uh, I, and I think City just absolutely pasted them. Like it wasn't even close. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not City, but you hope they like open it up and play us. So. Yeah, I mean, at, at least because they are Manchester United, you know they're not going to sit back in a low block and like invite us onto them. You know that you know Rangnick is going to have them push forward. They're going to press. And so there's going to be opportunities in behind. Harry Maguire and Lindelof are not quick. Neither Basaka and, you know, I don't know. I don't know who's going to play left back if, if Shaw is healthy or if Tellez is going to keep playing. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I just, there's going to be opportunities for us. And the way we've been playing lately, I, I would fancy us to take them. Yeah, I mean, you like we generally play better against teams that want to play us. And I don't trust United's ability to press us, so. I mean, yeah. we're going to find out, but you're right. I think we, we have an opportunity to really put United out of the top four race this weekend, which would be, you know, fun. Yeah, I, I mean, this season has been weird enough that I'm not going to count anybody out necessarily, but it definitely just leapfrogs us over them for the time being. Yeah, I mean, they're in trouble. If they lose, if they lose to us this weekend, they're in some real trouble. Um, it'd be nice if Arsenal could drop some points for once, but... I'm not counting on it. <laughs> I mean, maybe Leicester will finally figure out what the fuck they're doing. You think that's likely? Uh, no. No, okay. it's unlikely. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can also find us, our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDRs and Wheel of Deal Radio. Leave us some reviews. For Brian, for presumably Ben, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.